Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. It is my great honor and privilege to have as our guest today, Nate Marielke. Nate is a dear friend uh, of Kelly and mine. He is a worship leader. He is a pastor. He is a songwriter. He's a dad. He's a husband and a friend. Nate, thanks so much for joining us today. So good to be here. You forgot Coffee Junkie also. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's a very important part of your story. <laughs> well, speaking of your story, Nate, just give us a snapshot of where God has been faithful to kind of draw you near to himself over the years. Yeah, I know. And I know today we're talking about revival. And so this is like kind of how my faith story began when I was 17 years old. I was just a really broken teenager. I had some real uh, depression that I was dealing with, some suicidal ideation, just didn't know where I was going, who I was, all these things. And I ended up walking through the doors of a church that was having a revival. So they were experiencing, we're going to talk about today, they were experiencing this just awareness of God's presence and God's goodness and God's power in a very special way. And long story short, I walked into that place, just a very broken human being, uh, again, just depressed, suicidal ideation, and I walked into uh, the presence of God. This is my experience, and I literally just, not to be dramatic, I literally just fell on my face, and I just Mm -hmm. said, God, you're real, you're good, and for the next several minutes, God just dealt with these things in my life, in my heart, and and to tell you the truth, like I stood up and walked out of that place very different than the way I walked in. I love that, Nate, because Paul says in Corinthians, he says, you don't have to have like a lot of bells and whistles, but if you are the gathered people of God and the presence of God is among you, even an unbeliever could walk in your midst and say exactly that. God is surely among you. Yeah. And that's always been a longing for me when, when Kelly and I were part of a church plant, we said, we want the presence of God to be so rich in all of our public (laughs) gatherings that we would want anybody to be, we would call it, we want them to be confronted with the presence of God. Yeah. Because we believe that that's truly transformative. Or at least leads us to a place where we get to choose whether or not we're going to respond to the presence of God. Absolutely. You know, the presence of God has always been the inheritance of of God's people. So Mm -hmm. it's an earmarker of of the people that say, hey, we belong to God. God is in their midst. God isn't just like a concept. You know, we're... Well, I was just listening to, to Max Lucado talk a little bit about this, and he said, you know, this is, this is more than a philosophy. Yeah. This is more than a religion that follows the, the teachings of, of a dead person. This is a, this is a uh, community of people, and God is in our midst. It's great. So, Nate, you and I both have Pentecostal roots. Yeah. So for, and for us, revival and revival-type stuff is just part of the vernacular. Like, we yeah. talk about it like we're talking about the weather. But for people who are new to that scene, what, what does revival mean? Yeah, you know, so revival can be a trigger word, and it can, it can conjure up all kinds of different thoughts. Like, if you were a part of maybe, like, a evangelical church that had revivals, that might mean that you had, you know, five or six days of services. Okay. If it, you know, if, if you're older, it might mean that you had those services in a tent, you sure. know, where there was just this, you know, revival to kind of come back to some things. Uh, when we think about revival, or when I think about it biblically, it, it is a, exactly the word, reviving. It's a, it's a returning to something mm-hmm. or a, a reclaiming of something that's been lost or even— uh, even something that was dead coming back to life, and it's a, a kind of a returning to God. It's a, it's a season in which we experience the presence of God in a very unique way, and uh, revival is marked by by several things. Real revival is marked by several things. Um, you're always going to find repentance hmm. in a, in a real revival. You're always going to find, and and again, another trigger word. So repentance. You know, some people hear repentance and they the conjure up ideas of like. 
sorrow or our, our sadness over our sins, and that that's part of it. Right. But repentance literally means to changing our mind or to get our mind back yeah. on track with with God and with His way of doing things. So you're always going to find repentance. You're you're always going to find a heart cry of worship. Yeah. The historical revivals that we've had in our nation. Um, always accompany a heartfelt worship or even a new expression yeah. of worship. Jesus is always going to be glorified at the end of the day. There's going to be a, a sense that, of the presence of the Lord that is so so real that Jesus is glorified. And um, usually revival will result in some sort of societal change. And we saw this in the Great Awakening. Second Great Awakening, arguably, uh, really paved the way for uh, slavery to end in our nation. A lot of the, uh, a lot of that movement, the anti-slavery movement, came out of the Great Awakening as people were, you know, their hearts were broken for the sin in our nation, and they thought, hey, this is sin. This, this is slavery is sin. And so, so the movement, the uh, emancipation movement. What's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, the abolitionist. The abolitionist movement yeah. really came out of the that Second Great Awakening. So you're going to have some sort of societal change. Uh, in in a revival, so that's these are these are it's kind of a big concept, but uh, but at the center of it is an awareness of the presence of God. Yeah, that is very special, and that's that. It's such an awareness that you have to make a decision, like you just said, that Paul said, an unbeliever comes in the midst. Surely God is is among you, yeah. and now that means something. Right, right. So Nate, where have you seen this firsthand yeah. and deemed it to be authentic? Yeah, so back in the mid-90s, um, there was a revival in Pensacola, Florida, where a local church, they did not expect this to happen. A local church basically had a guest speaker in on, on a Father's Day in 1995, and there, at the end of the service, there was prayer, and an awareness of God's presence and power and love kind of came among them. And that turned into them saying, we don't want to leave. So they had these sustained meetings. They just kept meeting day after day after day after day after day. And word of this got out, and literally they estimate, a low estimate, is about 3.5 million people went through the doors of that church in five years. Wow. And uh, how that intersects with my life is that story I just told you at the beginning of the podcast where God so radically met me was I went to a service that was hosted by the, the people that were involved in leading this revival. And, um, and was that in Florida or was that somewhere else? So that was that team came up to Grand Rapids to do okay. a series of meetings okay. uh, in 1997. Wow. And I walked into that room and there was something different. And that's when I was changed. And so I decided to spend two years down in Pensacola, Florida, and I saw firsthand this revival. And people were, it was marked by people coming to faith. There were people coming to putting their faith in Jesus in by like the multitudes it was it was unbelievable there were friday nights that we had we had services every night of the week except for monday nights and sunday nights so literally uh every night of the week and i remember there would be friday nights where there would be 10,000 people on campus now the auditorium only held 2500 people so they had you know all these overflow all these rooms. overflows yeah, everywhere yeah. and tents outside and they would be baptizing people. And then we would sometimes baptize 150, 200 people, you know, in the night. In the night. And the worship was, you know, it was such a heart cry. It was such a purity of worship. There were people just pouring out their hearts to God. And then it was marked by just a, a phenomenal sense of the holiness of God. So there was a lot of repentance. There were a lot of people saying, man, there's, 
there's things in my life that aren't lining up with the way of Jesus, and I want to get that right. And yeah. so there would be just moments of just repentance. So, Nate, did you have an opportunity to lead worship during those times? So I was a, I was a teenager, okay. and so I, you know, I went, you know, I was 18 years old sure. going down to this Bible class. I didn't know what I wanted to do. In fact, okay. I did not want to be in vocational ministry. Okay. I actually didn't want to. I, I went down there, and I thought, you know, I'll give the Lord two years of my life sure. so he can teach me about the Bible and things like that. And I was like, I'm going to go do something else after that. I do not want to be in vocational ministry. So that was not my plan or my goal. Um, so, no, I did not uh, okay. lead during that time. And then out of that is when I started to, like, just randomly lead people into yeah, yeah. singing. And then it turned into, like, this job that I never thought I'd have. So Right. So, Nate, what were some of the personal gifts for you having a chance to, like, be in that environment over that 24 months? Yeah. You know, the I think the number one thing, as I've reflected on this, is a sense of – it really comes back to this – and a sense of God's presence mm-hmm. being – being part of the people of God. I think we oftentimes choose other things and we don't focus on the fact that God is among us, that God is here. And yeah. it's like what Max Lucado was talking about. Like we we do like worship a risen savior. We there mm-hmm. is the Holy Spirit who is is not just electricity, he is a person. Yeah. You yeah. know, he's the third person of of the triune Godhead, most of us listening are are probably people that believe in the Trinity, that God is a one entity with three distinct persons. And that's a whole nother podcast. But for me, it was just this, so living my life with an awareness of the presence of God. Yeah. And then when I got into vocational ministry, just keeping that, trying to keep that at the forefront of just like, hey, this isn't just us, you know, sharing philosophy or just sharing teaching this is a very real god that's in our midst and just just being aware of that so that was a huge gift for me so nate brownsville was about 30 years ago yeah and just this last spring a few months ago there was a fresh move of god that came out of asbury college in wilmore kentucky what were your initial thoughts and emotions when when that news kind of hit your ears you know so beautiful uh what happened at asbury and i you know i I don't speak with a whole lot of authority because I didn't visit yeah. Asbury. And I, in fact, I even thought I should go. And I, I distinctly felt, and kind of more on this later, but I distinctly felt, no, it's not for you to go, mm. but to be encouraged by. So, yeah. you know, I, list, I, I read articles. I listened to people that have been there, even some acquaintances and friends that I knew that yeah. I trusted that had been a part of past revivals when, and they were just, God is there. This is right. revival. This is real. You know, I remember... Probably middle of January, I had, uh, it was, I don't know, whatever night it was, maybe a Friday night, and I had come home from work, and I had gone to bed early. I guess that's what you do when you're in your 40s, but literally 8 a.m., I was out. I woke up at 11, and I couldn't, I mean, that was, that was it. You know, I was like, up. And the, the house was quiet, and I, and I went downstairs, and I remember, for whatever reason, my mind turned toward revival. Yeah. And I started thinking about the things that I had experienced in the past, some of the things I experienced even in... Uh, recent years and some of the ministry we've done overseas and things like that. And uh, I started thinking about my time at Brownsville and I started looking up articles about it. And then it just led to like this yearning. Yeah, It led to this real yearning like, God, I'm looking around at the state of the church. Mm-hmm. I'm looking around at the confusion that is in our world and in our nation and our culture. And I'm like, Lord, we just need you to move again. We need a fresh move, you know. Yeah. Didn't think anything more of it. But I, 
And then I started seeing across my my Facebook feed this Asbury revival. Crazy. And and I'm like, oh, you know, a little the skeptic in me was like, yeah. yeah, people can call things a revival, whatever. But then some of my friends, and in particular, in particular some of my younger friends, mm-hmm. began to be impacted by this. Um, and, and, you know, some of them were people who were really dealing with anxiety, with mm-hmm. some of the things that our generation deals with. You know, as you know, Steve, sure. you know, especially working here at Winning at Home, I mean, anxiety at an all-time high. Sure. You know, some of the things that this generation is dealing with, my heart just breaks. You know, the empathy that, that I have thinking about this. But then you, you, you saw real results. You saw younger people, you know, going to Asbury, walking mm-hmm. into these very relaxed, peace-filled yeah. services with lo-fi. There were no lights. There was no big sound system. There were no celebrity names. No fog machines. No fog machines. You know, none of those things. And, you know, the videos that I saw, at least, you know, it was like an acoustic guitar and a piano of worship. Yeah. yeah. And just... Because you didn't have to dress it up. When no. it's real, you don't have to put tinsel on it. Right. You know, you don't, have to dress, you don't have to make it something more than what it is because what it is is enough on its own. Right. Yeah, and so they're going to this place, and they're leaving profoundly changed. And yeah. even days later, you know, texting uh, one particular young friend, texting my wife, just saying, I remember how you and Nate would talk about these revivals, and, and I experienced it. Even, you know, days later, the anxiety has lessened, and, and, and that's mm-hmm. just the presence of God, and Jesus has become forefront. And so when we were getting these kinds of testimonies, I'm like, okay, this is legit. Yeah. God is doing something. Yeah. Nate, there were some people, again, everybody's going to approach this type of phenomenon with a different theological bent. And there were some people who were saying, hey, this is emotivism. This is hmm. this is chatter. This is noise. We need to be discerning about it. It doesn't constitute, uh, air quotes, technical revival. Well, from your experience, how do you, A, be discerning and then B, not quench the spirit? Because scripture calls us to yeah. do both, to test the spirits and at the same time not not shut God down when God is legitimately at work. Yeah, I mean, there you know, there's when we look at Scripture, there's really one way that God calls us to judge things, and it's by yeah. fruit. Yeah. And you look at the fruit of what's happening, like I just said, with some of my young friends, and you know, and then you know, the, the kind of the earmarks of revival are are people. Is there a sense in which, first of all, is there a sense in which God is presence? Are we? Is there an undeniable sense that God is present? Are we feeling that call to life change and to mission? So, yeah, we look at the fruit. And, and yes, we do have to be discerning. I, I don't right. think we should check our, our brains at the door and just say, well, you know, uh, this so-and-so magazine called it revival, so I guess it is. No, right. we've got to really look at this. But when you look at Asbury, you know, you don't see a celebrity or, or, or somebody who's kind of propping up their own ministry. I, I don't think I could name one of the leaders. Right. I couldn't name one of the worship leaders. There was no records being sold. There were no books being sold that I know of. Yeah. That I know of. You know, that was the beautiful thing. But yeah, again, we can't check our brains at the door, right? We do right. need to operate in discernment. But you, again, you look at the fruit. Right. What What is the fruit of this particular movement? Because sometimes you look at a movement and it, and it doesn't, uh, it's not your style. Yep. But you can look at the fruit of the movement and say, okay, that you can see real fruit there. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Nate, I had an opportunity to take a group of high school students when I was a high school director at the church that you're serving now in Metro Detroit, took them down with a bunch of Pentecostal churches that I grew up with to be a part of a missions trip. And I told them as we were going down, I was like, you're going to see things that are going to make you uncomfortable. I said, but here's a question I want you to ask. Lord, if this is of you, will you show me? And if it's not, will you show me that too? Yeah. 
And so there would be word of knowledge, there would be word of prophecy, there would be, you know, spiritual combat. And every single time after there was a service, we would debrief with our kids. And I was so proud of them, Nate, because these 15, 16, 17-year-old girls are saying, like, this one, this thing that happened was really weird, but I think it was of the Lord. Yeah. And this other thing was really odd, and it just didn't sit right with me. And I was like, you know what? That didn't sit right with me either. I think that there's value in discerning in community. Absolutely. Have you found that to be true in your experience? I would say that, that that's how we discern, okay. is in community. Again, if you're like this self-appointed watchdog yeah. over the house of the Lord, and you're in not, and you have no community, and you're just out there throwing criticism, right. you know, typically that's not going to carry a lot of weight. Yeah. But if you're in community, as you said, with other people, if we're followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. Sure. He has been given to us the moment we said yes to Jesus. Yeah. And so I think... We the spirit inside knows, you know, yeah. uh, what's what's right and and what's wrong. Yep, and that's why we have one another as well. Now, one of the things I appreciate about the leadership at Asbury because I was watching the social feed too, and I'd see somebody post like, "This is me preaching at Asbury," and then I like, click on the link, and they're like, they got a megaphone on the lawn outside the chapel. I'm like, "Oh, you're, not pre- <laughs> you're preaching near Asbury. You're not preaching at Asbury." And and sometimes there is a temptation for people to become hangers on, or they're trying to ride that way for their own ego or their own ministry or their own self promotion. And at the end of the day, the leaders of Asbury they shut it down. Yeah. And again, I'm not, I didn't hear a statement from them. I don't want to get inside their minds, but because I think they felt like it was, they didn't want it to turn into a circus. Yeah. If 90% of the people at that gathering were not Asbury students, then then it starts to take on a life of its own. What, yeah. what, what's what been your insight in experiencing that at a place like Brownsville where people are, I mean, my family road tripped down to Pensacola for yeah. spring break <laughs> so that we could, so that we could taste it. So we'd be a part of it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but at what point does, does something run the risk of taking on a life of its own that turns fleshly instead of godly. Does that make any sense? Yeah, here's the here's one of the things that just amazes me about God is that he continually allows us to partner with him mm. in his work. Yeah. Even though we are imperfect. Yeah. So any movement that that you see like a revival movement that you see that's happening in the world, there's imperfect people leading it. Yeah. And God in his humility God in his, I guess I can even use the word sovereignty, allows us to do that. And so, you know, I don't want to paint. I had an amazing experience for my two years at at Brownsville, but certainly there were things that were overemphasized. Certainly, I I would even say that there were times that, you know, we tended towards legalism because there was such a strong sense of the holiness of God and we wanted to get our lives right. I think we sometimes swung too far over into the— We'll make the legalistic side to make right, sure right, we right. didn't sin. So we right because you don't you don't want to be the one who ruins the revival because right, of, because of something right. that was happening in your private world. Right. Yeah. So there's so much like baggage around even that. Right. Sure. About uh, around revival. At the end of the day, God partners with imperfect people. I mean, that's the whole story of Scripture. Yeah. It's the whole story of the church, and by His grace, we're able to somehow see the kingdom move forward. And I watched from afar what they did at Asbury, and I I just think in my opinion, again, from my very far vantage view, not being in it, I just think they did a phenomenal job, mm, frankly. I mean, I think they really protected. Well, because, you you know, you look at the Brownsville Revival, this is a local church. Mm-hmm. And you look at Asbury, this is a college. Right. So, like, classes still have to go on. They, sure. You know, uh, students are there to get a degree. They, you know. Right. But I also want to say, on the other side, they recognized that God was moving. Yeah. I mean, they could have shut it down day two. Like, all right, that was, that's enough. we got to get back to school. But they didn't. Right. They recognized 
something that was special that was happening that was holy that was pure and can i just say you know how beautiful it is that it that it was a lo-fi mm. that it wasn't high production and, it, and the, at least the videos that i saw were very peaceful yeah. in a generation that just deals with anxiety and depression and fear it's like god was meeting a yeah. generation yeah. Uh, saying I, i'm the prince of peace right and and in my presence is fullness of joy yeah. And I just thought yeah. that was the most beautiful thing to me. It didn't Great. look like Brownsville. Brownsville right. was wild. Brownsville was exuberant. It came out of the Pentecostal movement, which was more exuberant praise and, and loud. Oh, yeah. this, was, this was equally God over here, but it was peaceful. It right. was calm. Yeah. And that's what this generation needed. Yeah. I love the fact that you say what this generation needs, Nate, because when I look at the history of revival, and earlier you had mentioned the first great awakening, and then we had a second great awakening, and then you could argue that in the early 1920s with Billy Sunday and yeah. others, there was another kind of spike. And then, you know, there was Billy Graham and the Youth for Christ movement about a generation later. And then about a generation after that, there was a Jesus People yeah. movement. And then we have Brownsville and, yeah. and Taylor and some other campuses experienced yeah. a similar move of God in the early to mid-90s. And again, I'm not saying that God operates on cycles, but right. my personal theory that has no you know evidence to back it up is that God gives each generation an opportunity to respond to his prompting and leading in a new and a powerful way. Yeah. So again, if we we're going to argue that, like we're, we're ripe for something new. You know, I, I, something my dad um, said to me, my dad, who was, you know, was a pastor a lot of his life and um, just a wise man of God, he he said to me once, every generation needs a fresh move of the Spirit. Mm. You know, and it's it's beautiful to see. I mean, I fully agree with that. And, you know, I was thinking about Isaiah 60, uh, verse 1, uh, which says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory mm. of the Lord has risen upon you. Yeah. Deep darkness covers the people. Yeah. And so whenever there's darkness and confusion in culture— yeah. Wherever there's a, a, a wrong to be righted, you know, we do see these revivals pop up. Yeah. And, the, and the, when the scripture says the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, that word there, the Hebrew word for glory, is um, kadosh, or mm. uh, not kadosh, that means holy. It's the word um, kabod. It's mm. the weight of mm. the glory of God, which means the, kind of the manifest presence of God, the awareness of the presence of God. Not just this sense of like, God's always here in the omnipresence. That's beautiful and it's a good. Uh, thing to remember and it's but this is like when god shows up like yeah. and there's this weight sure. to his glory and i and i agree with you and i hope that that's true that we are right but i i heard another leader that i respect say that about the asbury revival he said i felt like he said it feels like this about the asbury revival it says like when you're driving on the highway and you're headed towards a storm and you can see a storm on the horizon and you know you're going to get hit with a deluge of of water of rain yeah. Before that, you get these little sprinkles little that kind of yeah, yeah. that kind of hit your windshield, and they yeah. just dot 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 dot. You know, yeah. they just kind of linger there, and you know that within a few minutes there's going to be this deluge. Yeah. And he had mentioned that he felt the Asbury revival was that sprinkle, and that we were like a maybe foretaste. yeah the foretaste, and yeah. that we were maybe headed toward um, like a, a, an outpouring that would would be even broader than that. I hope he's right. I don't yeah. know. I hope he is because I think we need it. Yeah, I think even when you talked about darkness and culture, I, I think that that's such a powerful metaphor because I think that sometimes the temptation of the church, and I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but maybe the scheme of the enemy is to get the, the church so busy cursing darkness that she doesn't call for light. 
And the church can spend a lot of time and energy finger-wagging culture and complaining about culture and being upset about culture. And Jesus is saying, "Don't why, why waste your time complaining that darkness is dark? Get on your knees and call for light. I couldn't 100%. I mean, arise, shine, for your light has come. Yeah. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Yeah, That's the answer. That's the answer. It is God's people walking in God's presence. Because, I, you know, when there's confusion and darkness in culture, there's also an increase in spiritual hunger. Yeah. Because and you saw this in the if, I don't know if you saw the film Jesus Revolution. I didn't, but I heard great things. Well, basically, it does tell the story of that revival yeah, in yeah. The, the late '60s, early '70s, a revival that you know many of the people, many of the older leaders in the body of Christ right now, are, you know, really trace their roots to they. Yeah. You know, a lot of them were, were hippies that were sure. doing drugs and right. looking for God in drugs, looking for God in free love, looking for God in these you know, all the all the philosophies that came out yeah. of that time, and they found Jesus. Yeah. Jesus profoundly changed their lives. And yeah. so when the presence of God is in our midst, there, I believe the spiritual hunger in culture can be quenched only by Jesus. Yeah. And so when people are reaching for this and that, and they're so confused about their identity, so con- and trying everything, and, and anxiety is at an all-time high, and depression is at an all-time high, and suicidal ideation is at an all-time high across every age group. Yeah. You know, you can see that there are spiritual hunger in the world. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I heard Max Lucado say this, which, you know, coming from him is so interesting. He literally, I just heard a podcast with him and Ed Stetzer. I don't know if you caught this mm. on Ed Stetzer. An amazing conversation okay. with Max Lucado about the Holy Spirit. And he said, he literally said this, he used this language, like, the church doesn't need more programs. Right. The church needs more of an awareness of the Holy Spirit and to partner with, he calls the Holy Spirit our helper and our friend to help us. Because I was thinking about this today, the Holy Spirit wants to reach the darkness in the culture more than we ever will. Sure. You know? And right. so, uh, so, yeah. Nate, I love also that when you talked about Brownsville, you talked about repentance being a bleeding edge of revival. And when I read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah together, I see something really fascinating that that people that God ordains for spiritual leadership also have the privilege, the responsibility, and the obligation to be the <sighs> repenters in chief for that community. And I think that one of the things I saw is that you have these spiritual leaders repenting for sins that they did not commit personally and that they did not encourage other people to commit. And sometimes in our culture, I see people saying like, well, they need to repent for that. I don't have to repent for that. I didn't do that. But you see in scripture, there's a model to be able to say like, whether I committed that sin or not, I'm going to, I'm going to confess and repent of that sin on behalf of my marriage or on behalf of my family or on behalf of my church community or on behalf of my denomination. We don't, we don't see a lot of corporate repentance modeled. Why, Why is that the case? And what would it take to change it, Nate? Man, you know, it's such a great point that you bring up there. You know, when in my experience being in environments where this revival is happening, where there's just a this strong awareness of God's presence, with that, and I want, to be, I want to be really balanced here because when you have a strong awareness of God's presence, you have an awareness of his love and his mercy and his grace. Absolutely. But you also have an awareness of his holiness and of his purity. And in that moment, in a healthy way, not a self-abasing way, yeah. you recognize, you, you see yourself in the light of that. And you say, oh, I, I've got some things that I need to line up. So when when revival comes to a community, or or I should say it rather this way, when, when revival is being experienced by a community, 
you are going to see from the leadership all the way through every part of an organization and an, an incredible sense of humility, mm. an incredible sense of repentance. We will not have time to point our finger at the world when we're before God in our own brokenness. Cleaning our own house. Cleaning our own house. That's good. And even once, quote unquote, our house is clean, because he does do that work. I, I could use a churchy word here, but of sanctification sure. or, you know, ongoing formation, which is a lifelong thing. Right. When he continues to do that work and we get through maybe one thing he's going to open something else right. oh you know hey the lack of compassion yeah okay maybe you've got lust kind of overcome over here and not jumping on websites you shouldn't be anymore but guess what now i'm going to work on your lack of compassion right. you know or your pride and that's what i love about revival or actually any move where somebody's overwhelmed by god we don't get to prioritize what sins people should start working on the lord leads them yeah. to whatever that whatever whatever rock needs to get moved out of their spiritual highway first yeah and, and God, in his grace and his sovereign, is good at doing that. And Nate, when you talk about sanctification, I had always kind of grown up in a holiness tradition, and my wife did as well. Think about holiness as like sin avoidance. You know, the old timers are like, oh, if you're holy, you don't play cards, yeah, and you yeah. don't go to the cinema, and you don't dance, and all these things. First John says that perfect love drives out fear. Yeah. And you could argue that fear is at the root of all of our ungodliness. Yeah. I don't believe that God's going to provide for me. I have to provide for myself. Yeah. So I got to cut corners because God can't be trusted. But when we know that we're loved, that lo that white hot love for God and love mm -hmm. for others mm -hmm. just sears away desires to sin. Yeah. So it's not even it's just that you're managing behavior. Like some people, they'll say like, either either it was overnight or over a season, just the yearning that I had to do stuff that was nonsense. Yeah. Just faded away. Yeah. And and again, I think when you have this awareness of God in your midst, you know, you do see your desires change. Like that, back to that story I told you when I was 17, you know, I had, I had some real sin in my life. I had some brokenness in my yeah. life. And I walked into the presence of God and half expecting, you know, God to kind of just rake me over the coals. Sure. Like, you've been doing this. I can't believe it. But the message, as I was in his presence, the message was, I never left you. Mm. I never forsook you. In the midst of your sin, as you're reaching out, trying to to find comforts in sinful behavior that I that only I can revive you. I never left you. I'm there, and I love you, and I'm here to forgive you, and I'm here to wash you, and I'm here to to make you new. You know, and so I think when we when we do have a strong awareness of God's presence in our midst, which by the way, this is what I just this is what we desire for every place that calls itself a church, like that God be in our midst. When we do, you know, we become more aware of His love. And it yeah. does change our own desires. Like when you're loved by somebody, uh, it changes you. You yeah. know, it, it changed. When I realized my wife, who I thought was just this beautiful, amazing woman, when I realized she loved me back, mm -hmm. I wanted to be a better man. Yeah. And that perfectly coincides with what Paul says in Romans 2. It's his kindness yeah. that leads us to repentance. Yeah. Not, not his righteousness or not his rage or not, yeah. his, not his anger, not his wrath. It's his yeah. gentleness. Yes. And when we know that we're loved, I just, I know that like when I had done something that I knew was wrong, I could approach my parents and acknowledge that to them because I knew that their primary posture, and they had imperfect days like the rest of us do, sure. but their primary posture was, let's talk about why that happened. Yeah. And let's talk about why that's not in your best interests. Yeah. And let's talk about why that might not be honoring to your relationships or to your savior or to your or to your body or your own or, or your own good desires. Yeah. Um, th and it, there were still consequences, but like it was framed with gentleness yeah. and not not devastation. You know, I think God's 
when you look at the ministry of Jesus, you know, and as he's calling his disciples, his primary call for them was to to be with him. Yeah. You know, it, you know, we got this little segment of, of scripture in the gospels where Jesus prays all night and he's like kind of like praying about who should be his twelve kind of yeah. main dudes. And he comes comes down and the scripture's very clear to say, and he called them to be with him. Yeah. That was the very first call. And just to to know that that's the posture of God, the posture of Jesus is, I want you with me. I was remembering this last night. I was in another conversation with some people last night about raising our kids. And I remember when I was a teenager, and you know, this will this will date me. You'll know when I was in high school. It was during the grunge phase, yeah, you sure. know, like Nirvana and yeah, Smashing yeah. Pumpkins, and yeah, yeah. I was really into that. And so I grew my hair long. I had greasy hair. Nice. I wore just shredded clothes, you know, just trying to really fit in with this this grunge look. And my dad was the pastor of a little church, and yeah. I showed up to church dressed like that, half expecting him to be like, "Son, get home, get some decent clothes on. What are you doing?" And he didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, I was contesting him as yeah. a teenager, you know? Sure. And I I've kind of like later on in the day, you know, I asked like, are you, do you have a problem with my clothes? He goes, I don't, I don't care what you wear or what you look like. You're my son. I just want you with me. That's good. And it totally disarmed me. Yeah. You know, and that, and that reminds me of our Heavenly Father. Yeah. I don't care what you look like right now. I just want you with me. You know, and that's the beauty of, again, just coming back to the presence of God, because the presence of God is also his un- incredible white hot love, as you mentioned before. Yeah. Nate, that's so good. And I, and I love the, the, the phrase that precedes the one that you talked about. It says, and he called those that he wanted yeah. to be with him. And I think that some of us have just either never heard or have forgotten that, yeah. he, that he wants, wants you. us and wants all of us. Yeah. And I think that's just a great reminder. Well, Nate, as we close, what would be your encouragement to somebody who is just yearning for revival, but they're but they're tired. They're just they're mm. just weary because they don't they don't see the needle moving either in their own life or in their family or the, certainly the the nation at large. Well, it reminds me of Elijah on the on the top of Mount Carmel. Mm. You know, so Elijah has just gone through how many ever years of of drought. Right. He's been alone in the wilderness, yeah. and God calls him to this moment on the Mount Carmel where the nation is gathered, and they're going to figure out which God they're going to serve. Is it going to be this God called Baal that they that they've been serving, or is it going to be like Yahweh, like yeah. the Creator God? Yeah. And you know, and many of you listening may know the story. If you don't, basically the priest of Baal prayed to Baal, and 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 Elijah sets up this altar and says, "Hey, whoever's God." whoever's God's going to answer with fire and fire is going to come down and like consume the sacrifice. And so the priests of Baal pray and pray all day and they cut themselves and they dance and they scream and they holler and nothing happens. And and it's amazing. Then it's Elijah's turn to pray to his God. And he just says this calm prayer. It's very calm. Like, hey, God, will you please just show these people your God and show up? Fire comes down. There's there's massive revival. There's massive revival, but there's still a drought. So the crowds go home, mm-hmm. and I love this scene from, from the scriptures. Yeah. And Elijah's up there just with one other guy that's kind of his servant. He's up there in the mountain, and he is praying for rain because he knows, like, okay, people have turned back to God, but if we don't get rain in our land, like, right. our culture's done. It won't stick. Like, yeah. we're going to have to move away. You know, there's going to be no food. Israel's done. And so he's praying for rain. 
and he prays like seven times. I'm glad I'm with Bible scholar Steve Norman. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad with, I'm with the scholar, man, with, with, the, with the doctor. <laughs> so he prays seven times, right? Yeah. And I mean, I don't know about you, Steve, but I'm like, I'm three times in, I'm getting discouraged. Sure. You know, but he keeps going because he feels like he's got this promise. And of course, he's just coming off this crazy awesome experience where God showed up. Yeah. And seventh time, right, he sees a little cloud. Yeah. And just as he sees the little cloud, I mean, the rain hasn't even started yet. Right, right. He's like, all right, it's going to happen. So he goes and runs, and then here comes this deluge. And I would right. say to those that are weary, draw on the past experiences of God's faithfulness and goodness. Yeah. And pray for a generation. Pray for a generation that needs God. I think what fuels me and my prayer and desire for revival is is a generation that needs more of what Asbury was, this peace, the sense of God's presence, this worship, yeah. that's this heartfelt worship that's rising up. And then to hear stories of my young friends saying the anxiety's gone, the, yeah. the struggles I've had are, are gone. And again, it's not always just this snap your fingers, quick fix thing, but there's something that happens in the presence of God that breaks chains. And we may have to walk through certain things with people and counseling and all that kind of stuff. All that's good, but there is an initial breaking of the chain. And I, and I think of Elijah, and and so I guess my encouragement is remember God's faithfulness, yeah. and remember stories like Elijah, and remember that God does answer. He yeah. does answer His people. And just like anything else in the kingdom of heaven that we're talking about. There is an element of faith. There is an element of belief. There's an element that says, I'm going to believe even if I'm not seeing. I think there are people that prayed for things to happen at Asbury that didn't even live to see it happen. Mm. I believe there are people probably in the 80s and 90s who were just praying over that campus and over students. And, and the you know God answered their prayers, but maybe not in the time frame that they thought. And you want, and you wonder if maybe if they never saw the rain, maybe they saw the yeah. cloud the size of a man's face. Oh, that's so good. And that was enough. And it, what I what's so beautiful about that story, Nate, is that Elijah prays for fire once and gets it. Yeah. And then he prays for rain seven times that's so before good. he gets it, and it's in the same day. <laughs> yeah. Like within a matter of hours, and so I'm like, why? Well, because the prayer for fire was a prayer pagans needed to see that fire. Yeah. And so that prayer was for them. Yep. But maybe Elijah's prayer where God was saying, like, Elijah, this prayer is for you. I'm going to use this season to stretch you. I'm going to use this time to refine you. I'm going to use this time to build calluses on your knees and, yep. to, and to flex your faith muscle. Yep. I'm going to use this season to change you yeah. in ways I wouldn't otherwise. And Jesus prays multiple times in the yeah. garden. Like there is this, there, just because God doesn't respond instantaneously doesn't mean yeah. that there aren't the right prayers or that they're not coming from the right posture. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I love the encouragement that I think it's in the book of Hebrews about Elijah. You know, yeah. he was a dude just like us. He was yeah. a guy, a man, a human being, just like everyone who's listening, and God heard him. Yeah. So I love what you said, though. Like, fire comes right away, but then he's kind of got to spend more time praying for the rain. Again, the rain was that sustaining yeah. sense of God's blessing that, that was needed to carry the nation of Israel into to everything God had for them. Because fire was revelation, but rain was restoration. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll have to hang out of that one. That was well, good. I might have to use that. <laughs> but I'll but I'll make sure. You, you, know, you go right ahead. That's Dr. Pub, Steve that's, Norman. That's public domain, Nate. You, you ride with that one. Well, Nate, hey, thank you so much for your time, man. 
It's been a joy. And uh, let's let's have you back in a couple weeks. I would love we it. Can, we can have another conversation. I would love to. You've been listening to Hope Through Hard Stuff. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.